Okay, why I'm not Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, part two, divorce and remarriage. Down in the description, you can find a link to the blog where I have this written out, and you can also see an outline of, of what I'm gonna talk about. Um, but in part one of the series, I discuss the issue of authority as the foundational reason for not converting to Rome or Eastern Orthodoxy. The highest authority is Christ, and his authority is primarily mediated to us through the apostles and the prophets as written in the Bible. All other, uh, all other authorities are significant, but they must submit to the standard of Scripture. So, uh, marriage as an indissoluble covenant. This, uh, this is the most significant departure from Scripture that I see in these churches um, and uh, in their, their teachings and practice on divorce and remarriage. It's also the same reason, uh, uh, divorce and remarriage is the same reason that has kept me out of most Protestant churches as well. So this isn't a problem existing only within the walls of Rome and Eastern Orthodoxy. Uh, it's, it, it is presently in this thin slice of history ubiquitous in most churches regardless of denomination. Uh, you can check out my arguments for the indissolubility of marriage in my book, Contramunum Swagger. You can also uh, check out Nail the Colors to the Mass, which is a documentary interview I did with my father. Uh, but to put it briefly, Jesus says... Returning to scripture, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And this idea of divorce and remarriage being adultery, even marrying a divorced woman being adultery, is repeated in various forms in Matthew 5, Matthew 19, Luke 16, Romans 7, and 1 Corinthians 7. Remarriage is always adultery in every case. Though Jesus does give permission to divorce for sexual immorality, uh, but not to remarry. And Paul gives permission to separate or divorce if a non-believer leaves a believer, but he does not give permission to remarry. Additionally, the Bible never shows us a God-ordained covenant that dissolves. They can be violated or kept faithfully, but they cannot be dissolved. When they are violated, they don't dissolve like Alka-Seltzer in water. They remain intact, and because they remain intact, they obligate the one bound to them to repent and obey. And if the covenant breaker persists in their covenant breaking, the covenant brings curses on them. So, to say like many Protestants that violation of the marriage covenant dissolves the covenant and one is free to remarry is to deviate from the whole flow of scripture and what we find written about the nature of covenants. We don't even need Jesus' explicit words to understand this, but he has accommodated our frailty and anticipated our rebellion by telling us explicitly and plainly that to divorce and remarry is to commit adultery with the subsequent spouse. It is an unlawful, adulterous remarriage. And just like an unlawful homosexual marriage, a truly repentant person must separate from it. Just like murder, theft, or sorcery, one must repent of these sins and separate from them. For those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. This is all quite simple to understand, and uh, it's there plainly for everyone to read in the Gospels and the Epistles. But it is hard to obey because we all know friends and family who are in these situations, and perhaps we're in them ourselves, and we love ourselves and our friends and our family more than Jesus. As my father says, we love the kingdom more than the king. 
And just like Protestants, the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Churches have found ways to get around these hard but simple teachings. So we'll talk about the Roman sophistry. The Roman Catholic Church gives a lot of lip service to the fact that divorce and remarriage is adultery. You can read in the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church uh, that those who are civilly divorced and remarried are to be withheld communion and that they must repent by remaining continent. In other words, they have to stop having sex with their unlawful spouse. Uh, and you can see section 1650 in its uh, discussion on uh, divorce and remarriage. Uh, even this, though, to my mind, is uh, it's an insufficient form of repentance as it doesn't call them to literally separate from shared living quarters. Um, I've, and I've heard Catholic clergy say this before, they have to live together as brother and sister, which shows their kind of pastoral lack of wisdom and the reality of the ways of the world and the nature of humanity. Uh, yeah, you need to separate. You can't continue to live together as brother and sister. That's not going to happen. Um, so so they, they give a lot of lip service, but what they do is um, they provide a way for divorce and remarriage to occur uh, through the annulment process. And uh, you can check out all that, but uh, basically you have all kinds of uh, requirements of what constitutes a valid marriage, their view of marriage as a sacrament, which really kind of the Roman Catholic Church can legitimate uh, on their own. Uh, and so you kind of create these distinctions between civil marriages and, and, and sacramental marriages. Uh, all of this contributes to all of these things that need to be formed, uh, need to be uh, present in order to be a valid marriage. Now, some of these things are valid, like there needs to be consent. Uh, some of these things are not valid, like it has to be within the Roman Catholic Church, even though I know that they talk about some civil marriages as being uh, being valid. But there, there's, a whole, there's a whole slew of things that um, basically allow them to say, you know what, this marriage was never really a marriage. And so we are going to declare that it's not a marriage. Therefore, you can get married for the first time. And so uh, by granting an annulment, they are allowing them to uh, divorce and remarry. They just call it by a different name. So I'm not disputing annulments in principle. Uh, annulments, though, are, should be very rare. Um, annulments are for people like Elizabeth Smart, who was kidnapped at the age of 14 and forced to marry her captor. That is not a real marriage. That it can be annulled. Um, but it appears to me that 100% of the annulments I've seen in the Roman Catholic Church do not fit that kind of scenario. Uh, they're simply marriages in trouble and they want a way out. They don't even come close to a situation like Elizabeth Smart. Uh, but their pastors and their canon lawyers are talented enough in their sophistry to make, uh, to make any marriage not a real marriage. Uh, and you can read all the Roman Catholic arguments for what constitutes a true, mar uh, true marriage in their code of canon law, uh, which I link to in the blog. I'm not going to rehearse all of that here. There, and as I said before, there's legitimate and non-legitimate aspects. But at the end of the day, my fundamental disagreement with Rome is their permission to violate clear commands from Christ by calling it a different name. Furthermore, Pope Francis's amorous Laetitia uh, letter essentially says that divorce and remarried Roman Catholics can take communion. It's a major step in that direction, pushing very far in that direction. Uh, of course, there are all kinds of ways to argue that he's not departing from the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. 
whatever those are, and is simply being more pastoral and sensitive to the needs of those who are in such a position, which to me sounds like soft Protestants. As long as you say, well, we're just going to be pastoral about this. That's code for we're just going to let you deviate from the hard words that Jesus and the apostles said. As long as you're being pastoral and sensitive, you don't have to obey the Bible. Um, and that's what Pope Francis is doing. So even though they have this whole construct, which allows people to get divorced and remarried through annulments, Pope Francis is even going further and saying, eh, even if you're divorced and remarried, go ahead and take communion will facilitate you along in your weakness and, and all that. So, all right, let's move on to Eastern sophistry, shall we? Uh, the Eastern churches are a bit more honest in their uh, departure from Christ's teaching. Uh, they basically acknowledge that they are permitting sin, um, but they're doing it to accommodate weakness. Um, kind, of, kind of the Pope Francis move in a lot of ways. So they basically permit anyone to get divorced and remarried for any reason. They just prescribe a more solemn liturgy for the second and third marriage. It can't be as joyful and celebratory. And then there's a time of penance. Um, I'm not sure uh, before they get remarried or maybe they're already remarried and before they can take communion. It's a time of penance where they feel really bad about what they did and they have to walk through with the priest and then they can have communion again. Ugh, gross, dude. Uh, so I've read their arguments from various sources, but um, there's a good distillation of them in Crisis Magazine uh, from a history professor there. I have that linked in my, uh, I'll link it in the description and it's also in the blog. I think they're total garbage. Uh, they're, they are just garbage arguments, but uh, you know, lots of people <laughs> find them, find them uh, persuasive. You can judge for yourself. Uh, to me, they sound like weak, soft Protestants. Um, so it's weird to me that people convert to, to Eastern Orthodoxy because they think there's some kind of strength there. It's like, nah, these guys seem weak to me. Weak sauce. Uh, for example, uh, and this has been going on for a long time. Um, in the fourth century, Epiphanius, the bishop of Salamis in Cyprus, he wrote this. But if the man could not be content with one wife who had died, or if there has been a divorce for some reason, fornication, adultery, or something else, doesn't matter, uh, and the man marries a second wife, or the woman a second husband, God's word does not censure them or bar them from the church and life, but tolerates them because of their weakness. Hmm. The holy word and God's holy church show mercy to such a person particularly if he is devout otherwise. Okay, so he's, he's, he's devout otherwise. Let it slide. You're a homosexual, let it slide. He's not talking about homosexual here, but imagine this applied to anything else. Devout otherwise and lives by God's law, not by letting him have two wives at once while the one is still alive, but by letting him marry a second wife lawfully if the opportunity arises after being parted from the first. And I, I, he's at, so he's actually saying divorce and remarriage is more acceptable than polygamy. I would disagree with that. I think polygamy is actually more acceptable than divorce and remarriage because you're not breaking covenants. You're multiplying covenants. Now, Jesus did away with both of them by returning to the uh, created order, which some of the smartest people I've ever talked to don't understand that Jesus is doing this. But maybe I'm just stupid and I don't understand. Um, anyway... Modern bishops continue to parrot uh, the same garbage that um, uh, Epiph Epiphanius <laughs> says. 
so this is a contemporary bishop, Bishop Athenagoras Pekstad of Sinope. He says, despite the fact that the church condemns sin, uh, she also dis- uh, desires to be an aid to those who suffer and for whom she may allow a second marriage. This is certainly the case when the marriage has ceased to be a reality. A possible second marriage is therefore only permitted because of human weakness. As the Apostle Paul says concerning the unmarried and widows, if they cannot control themselves, they should, they should marry. Uh, yeah, that's a great proof text out of context and no, no attempt to harmonize with the rest of scripture. Yeah, this works for my purposes. It is permitted as a pastoral concession in the context of economia. So economia is this word they make up where they allow this to happen. And I guess because you have a fancy word, it allows you to accommodate human weakness to violate God's law. So in the context of economia, uh, it's a pastoral concession to the human weakness and the corrupt world in which we live. Wow, so wise. These these these. Eastern patriarchs are so wise. Okay, so let's contrast this with with, uh, the Western patrimony. You have uh, a contemporary bishop with uh, Epiphanius. 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 uh, In the West, Augustine, Bishop of Hippo. Um, And he says this. This is a lengthy quote, but um, I'll preface. He basically says, if you're divorced and remarried, you can't get baptized. You need to separate before you enter the church. He says, It is the judgment of certain that all men without distinction are to be admitted to the lava of regeneration, the baptismal pool, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, even although they shall be unwilling to change an evil and shameful life, rendered notable by sins and scandalous crimes, and shall even declare and make open profession that they will continue therein. So he's saying those who say that they're just going to continue in sin... Some say that they should actually be admitted to the the baptismal pool. They seem to have been moved thus to dispute as concerned at those not being admitted to baptism who have put away their wives and married others or of females who have put away their husbands and married others and have been married to others. Because of these, the Lord Christ, without any doubt, testifies that they are not marriages but adulteries. When we refuse to admit such persons to baptism... It is not that we are endeavoring before the time to pluck out the tares, but that we are unwilling, like the devil, to sow tares upon the wheat. Neither are we hindering them who are willing to come to Christ, but are by their own very profession convicting them of unwillingness to come to Christ. Nor are we forbidding them to believe in Christ, but are showing them that they are unwilling to believe in Christ, who either deny that to be adultery, which he declares to be adultery, or believe that adulterers can be his members who he declares through the apostles, inherit not the kingdom of God. For it is enough that if all sins are to be refused admission into the sacrament of baptism, among these all is adultery. Wherefore, those which are manifest sins of unchastity are in every way to be restrained from baptism, unless they be amended, so he's get, unless they be amended by a change of will and by repentance. But these men, where the man enters to receive baptism, an adulterer, and goes forth, being baptized an adulterer, it is a wonder to me in what sense they think it said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. So in the West, uh, we, we see that there's a harder line being um, taken than in the East very early on. 
Uh, Jerome makes a similar point in his letter to Amandus, number, letter number 55. He said this woman, she actually divorces her husband because he's a homosexual, marries somebody else, wants to come to the church, and he's like, eh, you got to separate from this marriage because uh, it's adultery. And uh, also, by the way, you can't go back to your first husband because the law of Moses prohibits that. Uh, Deuteronomy 24 says it's an abomination. So you got you to gotta be single, but you can come back in if you repent and remain single. Um, so there's prescriptions for repentance through separation. Um, and you can find similar statements from the early fathers going all the way back to the first century uh, in the Shepherd of Hermas, Justin Martyr, Clement of Alexandria, and the Council of Arles. Uh, one of those instances, uh, it's, it's one of those instances uh, where the East can't say that they've just had the same teachings forever. It's like, well, there's clearly a difference in the early fathers on divorce and remarriage. Um, and so let's look at the cultural fruits of each tradition, wrap things up. If you notice in my writings, if you've read any of my other stuff, I'm careful to say that uh, the West has a long history of generally maintaining the biblical teachings on divorce and remarriage. Of course, there's exceptions, of course, and academics will point out those exceptions and shrug their shoulders and be like, oh, how, who can know such things? Uh, that's the stock and trade of academics. But the West has generally maintained uh, biblical teachings on divorce and remarriage. Those who oppose traditional Western teachings like Instone Brewer um, also acknowledge that there's a general consensus in the West on this. Uh, but in the East, they departed pretty early on, and from what I can tell, and from critics of the Eastern position, this basically began because the church in the East was uh, in good standing with the empire, and uh, uh, they wanted to harmonize its teachings with uh, the empire's civil laws, which were more relaxed on divorce and remarriage. Whereas in the West, the church was fine with being more at odds with the civil laws. The East has been preaching cheap grace for a long time, at least when it comes to divorce and remarriage. And I think it's their disobedience on this issue primarily, which has caused them to be so ravaged by Islam and other things like communism. I mean, seriously, consider some of their principal patriarchs. The patriarch of Constantinople lost his country to Muslims, which is now Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, his church wasn't strong enough to resist Muslim uh, invasion and occupation. Consider the patriarch of Moscow. His church wasn't strong enough to resist communism and its militant atheism. Uh, many Orthodox countries are second world nations emerging out of the former so Soviet Union. And if they aren't that, then they are usually dominated by Islam, like in Turkey, Syria, and Egypt. These countries are not as wealthy, they're not as strong, and they're not as free as Protestant nations. And I think that this is directly related to their wildly deficient and unfaithful, unfaithful theology. If you have a garbage theology, you're going to have a garbage country. I think we can say the same thing for Protestant nations who are rapidly declining into further political and social chaos. We are becoming a garbage country as well. Um, and it's because of our unfaithfulness, our bad theology. Uh, our, however, uh, we have been wildly successful and incredibly blessed um, for a very long time. And I think it's because we've held the standard on divorce and remarriage with other things, of course. But divorce and remarriage factors in heavily into the fundamental building blocks of society that is the family. And then it also is, uh, once you start deviating from that, you're breaking covenant with God. But our adoption of divorce and remarriage has really kind of been relatively new in practice. In America, at least, we see a spike in divorce and remarriage uh, with the so-called greatest generation, the guys who came back from World War II. However, um, 
we do see permission in writing for divorce and remarriage in confessional statements like the Westminster Confession of Faith as early as 1648 and in the writings of men like Erasmus, Luther, and Calvin who all permitted divorce and remarriage for various limited reasons. Uh, while men like Martin Bootser and John Milton uh, permitted it for basically any reasons, just kind of flaming liberals on this issue. But we had uh, large Protestant bodies like the Church of England, which didn't officially break with the traditional position uh, until 2002. Um, in 1648, the English Parliament rightly rejected the section on divorce and remarriage in the Westminster Confession, which permitted uh, remarriage in the case of adultery and desertion, which they include actually the language they can remarry as if the offending party were dead. Uh, so I guess we're, we're running our lives by hypotheticals now. Um, and you can even find uh, um, Episcopal churches in New York City as late as 1904, so American Anglicans, not permitting any divorced person to get remarried. And uh, you can find that in, in the New York Times ar archives. Um, and it's I'll, I'll have it linked in the description uh, or in the blog. So Protestant nations have had the seed of this corrupt doctrine from the beginning, but it appears to me that in America, at least, we didn't really start practicing divorce and remarriage on a grand scale until the 1950s. And I also think that it is worth noting as Protestant nations have become more unfaithful, we've seen a rise of converts to Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism. Uh, I believe these events correspond to each other. There's a greater concern for the externals of worship um, and being viewed as intellectually sophisticated uh, rather than a concern for internal holiness and true truth um, rather than beautiful truth. Wouldn't it be beautiful if this was true? Um, and if you convert to Eastern Orthodoxy, you don't have to follow Jesus' commands on divorce and marriage. You don't have to pretend to follow them like Rome does. You just say, yeah, we're weak. So uh, I guess fast for a little bit and then you're good. Uh, so that's another incentive for those not resisting our civilizational swirl down the drain. You don't have to, don't have to pick up that cross. Uh, both the Roman and Eastern churches fall very short of biblical orthodoxy regarding divorce and remarriage. Protestants have largely abandoned biblical orthodoxy in this area as well. Uh, it's the number one reason after authority that I cannot convert to Rome or Eastern Orthodoxy and why I am not part of a Protestant denomination either. However, I happily carry the standard of our Western patrimony on this issue, uh, even though the whole world seems to have given up uh, on it. Truth will win out eventually, and we will look back on this time in horror at how blind and deceived we were on something so simple. Mm -hmm.